When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the latest edition of the First Down Snapcast. Tonight I'm joined by Stuart Horsfall and Ian Davis. How are you both doing tonight? Very well, thank you, Richard. How are you? Ah, not too bad. Looking forward to the weekend. Yeah, yeah, I am. Been having quite an exciting evening already tonight, actually. Why? What's been going on in the Davis household? Well, me and Stuart, for the last couple of hours, have invented a new game. In fact, I'm thinking... I wouldn't even say it's a new game. It was just lost that title away, didn't we? Yeah, well, yeah, what you do, Richard, and anybody can do this, so anybody listening, you can actually play this game at home, more or less any time, anywhere. It's... You are just now admitting how sad we really are, Ian. Right, so, what you do, Richard, with this game is, I send a random date to Stuart, in fact, we'll probably call it the date game, because it hasn't really got a name on it. Be, care- be careful where you're going on here. <laughs> so, say, August 2012, yeah? Yeah. And then Stuart texts a random date back. And we've been doing that for the last couple of hours. Wow. This is sad as it sounds. Wow. <laughs> and, and I haven't just made that up. We really have been doing it, haven't we, Stuart? <laughs> That's because you sent me a text that said November 2017 on it. And I was like, what the hell is he sending me that for? So I replied saying December 2004, and then it just kind of snowballed and it got out of control. Wow, so you heard it here first on the Snapcast, the, the date game. You want to do that to feel free. It's not copyrighted yet. 
Yet yeah. is that is that is that going down straight as this podcast goes live? Copywriting. Yeah, I'm actually on uh, my laptop at this point. <laughs> how how are you doing, Stuart? You sound a lot better. You don't seem to be dying no more. Uh, you know, I mean, you just got to battle through these things, haven't you? Uh, the last couple of hours playing the date game has cheered me right up, to be honest. <laughs> wow! Right, let's get into the news. NFL news and rumours. So, there's only one place we can start with the news, and the Monday night football game brought us it. Drew Brees has got the first of his rec- the many records he can earn this season. Stuart, well deserved to potentially. He may. Everyone says Brady is the greatest, but is Drew naturally the greatest of all time? Um, I think on pure passing ability, I think uh, I think Drew is probably one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, um, I like the way that he's done it with. In in a lot of seasons, he's done it with quite an undermanned offense as well. I mean, the Saints are quite renowned for moving on their uh, wide receivers. They've done it. You know, quite recently with moving on people like Brandon Cooks, and then they just bring through the next talent. And I thought it was quite apt that he he actually got the um, he got the record by passing to his what he looks like is going to be the next uh, big wide receiver in in um, New Orleans with Traquan Smith. So I thought that was that quite nice is the fact that he's he's done it with quite a lot of receivers, and he's obviously nailed it with the, with the latest uh, draft pick. Yeah, it was. It was definitely. I think it was always going to happen because the surprise it took to this point in the season. But Ian, you're obviously are you going out to see Drew play later on in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we, we're at the Saints um, to watch them play the Rams, so that's going to be a great game. Can't wait for that. Yeah. I, love, I love watching Drew Brees. I think my two favourite quarterbacks to watch are Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers because I think they're just both so exciting with the way they throw it about. So yeah, yeah, really good that for And we have been talking over the last couple of weeks that you know it's a very pass-heavy um, NFL at the minute, and I think that just plays into oh. Drew Brees' hands and the fact that he is such an ultimate passer. And to be fair, you know, when he was in college and in his younger days, you know, a lot of people said that he was too short to be a an NFL quarterback. But oh my God, has he proved them wrong? Yeah, he's he's proved that size doesn't matter if you've got the the raw talent to produce what he does week in week out you made it in the league yeah I thought it was a, a nice touch the the video that Peter Manning did for him as well I thought that was a really nice yeah, touch it was very funny as well wasn't it it was funny but he showed a bit of class from Peter Manning yeah. as well so um, I, I was really that was really good as well it was also a nice point in the game because obviously when he made that pass the game sort of stopped just to give him that ball just so he's got it for history but Did you see the really pathetic laminated certificate that yeah, they gave him? Yeah. <laughs> but didn't he get flagged for celebrating as well? Yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, which is crazy, isn't it? Well, yeah, that, the crazy flag rules, out, out possible, isn't it? If, if if anybody's not seen the, the pathetic laminated certificate I, that they gave him on the on field, then you need to take it out. It is, it is, it's like something that you would do on um, Windows... Yeah, Windows 5. Is it like a publisher uh, job, Stu, with a bit of lamination? Yeah, it's like a bit... It's a bit like clip art, isn't it? It's just yeah. basically sometimes new Roman font and written congratulations, Drew Brees, and put a bit of clip art on it and then laminated it. It was so bad. 
But yeah, it's definitely gone to a very deserving player as that record. And touching on your point, Ian, going to see the Rams, potentially that is the game of the year in the, yeah. in the regular season. I'm thinking, yeah. Because um, they've both got to be um, Super Bowl hopefuls, haven't they now? Many, um, many are seeing this as a rehearsal for January's final, for NFC final. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, the, the, the game of the season was this weekend, just gone. I thought Arizona 49ers was the pinnacle of the NFL. I called that win. I called that win for the Cardinals. I said they'd come on fire this week. Well, you got it better than you. Really would you really class it as coming on fire? Well, no, because they're playing the 49ers. But... <laughs> um, it, it, it was a rip-roaring affair, that's for sure. Without a doubt. Um, another part from the news at the weekend, unfortunately... We won't be seeing JJ at Wembley in three weeks. Season-long injury. Very disappointing for Eagles, Ian. Obviously, I know you won't feel sorry for him at all. But yeah, it's yeah. not the way the season they wanted, is it? No, it's not. It's funny because, I mean, that's how JJ ended up going, going to the Eagles to replace Sunday last year, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, what do we think we're going to do? Because I can't, I can't see him going for Bell. I can't see that. I, think got, I don't think they've got the cap space to go for that. No, I think they're really tight on the space as it is. But I think I think if you ask, drops Yeah, but I th- I think if you asked the Eagles again last year, if, knowing what they know now, I don't think they would have traded for a giant. No, because I don't I don't think he's has nearly been as good as they thought he was going to be. And don't get me wrong, he's had some big breakout games. He's also he's been done all that. He's, he's also been really poor and the game at the weekend his fumble on the goal line um, when Eagles could have really got back into that game was was a real turning point and I think he actually from that moment on he got benched he didn't come back in not because of injury because he fumbled on the goal line and it wasn't like he got it knocked out he just dropped it um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see what the Eagles do with JJ now when he comes back fit again but I wouldn't be surprised to see him get traded away from the Eagles yeah Let, let's just look out for which um, teams coming over to London next year might get traded to all them yeah I think it's difficult for I think it's difficult for running backs now um, especially ones that are older maybe 26, 27 if you're not producing the yardage there is that many coming out of college that you can pick one up in the later rounds of the draft. If you look at Alvin Kamara, I think he was like a fourth or a fifth round pick. There is players to be had. So if you're not doing it, you're likely to just get cut adrift. No, and Eagles are now going to have to go with Corey Clement and Wendell Smallwood, aren't they? Like, so unless they trade for someone, but it's highly unlikely. Clement's looked all right, though. I mean, there's, been, there's rumours that they've checked out Shady McCoy again. You know, I know they looked at him last year as well. But I, Again, I can't. That's Can we see Bills letting probably their best player leave? Well, it depends. It depends what they, they get for him. Yeah, what they're going to do this year, the Bills, and beat Vikings. End of his career, he's, he's still got. I knew you'd say that. <laughs> he's still got this court thing hanging over him, hasn't he? Yeah. All the, the accusations. So, so they, you know, they might do. They might listen to the, the, the one that I, the one that I think might happen is I think that the. Um, they might go for Tevin Coleman at um, Falcons because he's in his last year of his contracts now so it's possible that they might make a play for him early yeah 
because he's definitely going to be on the free agencies over the over the preseason. So I think he's definitely moving on away from um, Atlanta because they're replacing him with Ito Smith, who's who's got a touchdown at the weekend um, to back up Devonte Freeman. So I think to Tevin Coleman's definitely somebody that could potentially, and especially with the fact that Freeman's back now and Ito Smith has been playing whilst he's been out. Yeah. They might decide that actually we can trade away Coleman now and get something for him. So that's a possibility. Um, yeah. Jets guys as well, isn't there? You know, the Jets will go in with two of them. Are they going to go in for one of them? Yeah, the, the, the other one that's, that's a, a one to keep an eye on is, um, you know, um, at um, Cleveland with um, Carlos Hyde because Nick Chubb. Um, only had three touches last week but he turned them into some really productive yards and he did way more than Carlos Hyde did with a lot more touches So, and they really don't need Nick Chubb, Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson all in that backfield so. Yeah, and they seem to like Duke Johnson don't they? Well they like Duke Johnson because he's more of a, a passing back um, and you've obviously invested quite a high draft pick in Nick Chubb so I, I won't be surprised if you see you know, maybe Carlos Hyde move before the, the trade deadline it, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do anyway but I think Wendell Smallwood at the weekend was very productive he's had two um, good weeks he has had two good weeks and I think Wendell Smallwood will be the feature back now I think he'll be the one that will get the most of it I think Corey Clement might pick up a bit on passing downs but I think it'll be and I don't even think uh, Sproles has even suited up so I think it'll be between Clement and, and Smallwood but Smallwood probably leading the way and um, Ian, have you got a bit of potential breaking news on a potential running back signing for an AFC team today? Yeah, the um, the Jags have just announced that they're about to sign Jamal Charles. Obviously, this is on the back of um, Fournette's injury, hamstring injury, seeming to go on a bit longer. And didn't and Grant I, I go down to... as well? Sorry, say that again. And didn't Grant go down at weekend as well, leaving just Yeldon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not just it's not just for not. It's the fact that they've lost Grant as well. It is. Um, it's thing, isn't it? That injury is lingering. That's the main thing that they're looking out of it. And I, I'm wondering about Fournette. How many games has he played since he came into the NFL? Yeah, I I'd, I'd I'd kind of disagree with that. I, if it was just Fournette that was injured, I think the Jags wouldn't be doing this because they have Grant, who looks really good when he was playing, and he looked like a bit of a dynamic change of pace to TJ Yeldon. I think they're doing this because they've lost Grant as well and they can't rely on just TJ Yeldon to come out of that backfield. They need some support. That's why they go for it. It's the multiple injuries rather than just, just Fournette. But I agree with you that Fournette really needs to... He's a bit like Dalvin Cook in the fact that you can have all the talent in the world, but if you can't actually get onto the field to showcase that talent, then, you, again, teams aren't going to keep, keep you around. You're likely to drop down the pecking order and be maybe a third choice, second or third choice running back, because people want feature backs this, uh, in this day and age where they can, you know, churn them out doing 30 carries a game or something. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And again, we've got the Bell situation, but we'll touch on that in a couple of weeks once or if he returns to the Steelers camp. So that brings an end to this week's news. It's a time of the show where we look at week five's high and low points and our offensive and defensive player of the week. Any specific highs from you this week, Ian? Yeah, after I had um, a bit of a go about JJ Watt, saying he, he doesn't look quite as dominating as he 
has done in previous seasons. Got that one well wrong, didn't you? Well, no, no, I still, I still stand. I mean, obviously, I watched the game on Sunday. I still stand by. I don't. He's having a good season. You know, he's still getting the sacks. He's getting the tackles. But I still don't think he's quite as dominating as he has been. That's all I'm saying. But, do, you, do you think he's managing his body better? Like well, instead of going, instead of going health for lever in every game and getting injured yeah. after four, he's maybe coming at it slightly different so that he can prolong his season. Because he's still, he's obviously still effective, isn't he? You know, with with the sacks he's making it. And what I'm going to point out, my high is that there's two people tied at the top of the sack chart now. There's JJ Watt and there's his brother. They're both there on six sacks. So my highs are the Watts brothers. Yeah. I, I, what's what's better, getting five games of 100% of JJ Watt or getting maybe 10 games at 80% yeah. JJ Watt? No, I agree with you. Yeah, no, you're spot on with that. Yeah, definitely. Def- I, I mean, I don't know that. I, it's just, I'm just kind of speculating, really. You know, he might be playing 100 percent every snap, but like you say, if he, if we think he has dropped off his performances from previous seasons, granted, previous seasons he gets injured after five or six weeks, doesn't he? So, yeah. yeah. As a as a fan, you'd want to see him line up every week, so you'd so you'd want him to nurse his body through as best he can. And he, with all the injuries had, you'd think he'd be getting to a stage where he knows his limits. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, any highs for you, Stuart? Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, there's a couple really. Um, I think the the Vikings' performance to go to the Eagles. I'm, I always say being biased again, I, um, and getting the win. I thought that was that was brilliant. Um, I thought that um, Cleveland getting a bit of luck and getting the win in overtime, especially with what looked like a really ropey kick. Um, only just scraping over the barrel. I thought that was um, that was quite quite good. Uh, that was quite high, obviously, for Cleveland to to beat a Bravens team as well that, that were looking quite good as well. Um, it did make me laugh that Hugh Jackson started shouting onto the field that there was two seconds left, like that made a difference. You know, <laughs> like he wanted his team to focus for the last two seconds, um, not knowing that he won it. That was uh, yeah. that was quite yeah. funny. Would you? Um, just going to say there, Stu, obviously we've spoken about it before, would you say definitely a good week for Sam Darnold and Rosen this week? The, the rookie quarterbacks all seem to have a good week. All wins. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we called it a couple of weeks ago saying that the Jets really needed to open the playbook and let Darnold start throwing it downfield. And he, he threw two absolute boots to Robbie Anderson. Um, so that was quite that was quite nice to see, the fact that they've kind of let the shackles off a little bit. Um, I was, I was very impressed with... Um, with Rosen as well I think the problem that Rosen's going to have is the fact that his receivers are really bad um, he, he threw a, a touchdown to Christian Kirk which was nice obviously rookie to rookie but some of the drops that that receiver group are doing are killing him because he's throwing some really nice passes um, and I you know I said to him that me and Ian were talking about him and I actually said to him that I didn't think he'd been playing that well but I actually watched it this week and he, he, he actually had a really good game he was on the podcast we talked, and I said exactly the same to you that the week before, when people said he'd had, he was a bit so-so, and I said if you watch him all, they were virtually all drops, all the incompletions, yeah, the drops. Yeah, I, I feel sorry for him there. I don't like the way in which they're using David Johnson. They're using him like, um, well, they try to use him in between the tackles and they try to run it up the gut with him, which isn't really why David Johnson was good. He was more getting the 
the kind of the, the short check downs and the passes out to the flat where they could get him into space and that's where he was really making some big plays over the last couple of years so I think they maybe need to use him a little bit more that way rather than just using him as a standard running back and running it up the middle What's your guys takes on um, the other quarterback um, Lamar Jackson what, with Baltimore trying to bring him in to set players would you just bring him in or just leave him out and learn from Flacco because oh, I think defences are working out he's not snapping the ball I'd I, I, I really don't know what to think about Lamar Jackson, to be honest. Yeah. I, um, you know, there's loads of people that have got a lot of hype about him, but when I see him play, I can't see um, a quarterback that can sit in the pocket and make plays. And if you look at all the players, all the quarterbacks that have got had really good careers, really kind of like the longevity about it, have all been, you know, you're talking about Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, even Eli Manning, you know, to a certain... Well, I mean, he's had a long career, but they're all players that sit in the pocket and make plays in the pocket. Um, and Lamar Jackson, every time he touches the ball, you can almost see his brain saying, set off, set off. He wants to set off yeah. running. And, you know, we all know how long players like that last. You know, you only got to look at, like, RG3, um, Colin Kaepernick. You know, how long do they actually last in the league? So... I don't know. There's still a lot of questions for me about Lamar Jackson. I mean, I hope he, I hope he's brilliant. You know, I hope he's a real game changer and he's a real dynamic change at quarterback. I really do, but I'm I'm yet to see anything that's going to convince me of that. Yeah. So obviously, with the highs, we have lows, and I think there's only one place we can start with lows, and it's um, Mason Crosby. <laughs> now, before we just go into all this, right? We also we've had kicker gate where everyone was missing kicks the other week. To my recollection, did Detroit play under a roof? Yeah. So there was no wind? Nope. <laughs> what yeah, do you I th- know, it makes it worse. I mean, it, No, he scored one at the end, though. <laughs> what, make, what, what makes yeah. makes this worse is if it had made the kicks, they would have won. Yeah. So that makes it quite bad. Um, I did listen to the interview that Aaron Rodgers did at the end of the game where he basically said that um, Crosby's one of the best kickers... Um, that he's ever is that he's ever played with, so I don't think it's a lack of ability. Maybe it's just a, a bad day at the office. Yeah, that's, um, that's the thing, isn't it? He's, he's he, we know he's a good kicker. You know, you've seen him playoffs. You know, against the Cowboys, he holds his nerve. And I think the, I, I mean, I watched that game, and, and to me, it was once he'd missed one, and the second one went, his he's just confidence had gone. And we've talked about yeah. this with kickers, haven't we, with the confidence and. Yeah, it just looked like he didn't want to be on the field, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's mean, a bad day, and he just needs to forget about it. And carry yeah, because he is a good. I mean, I, th- I think Dan Bailey missed two at the weekend. They so, did. I mean, and and he's an absolute. Well, I mean, he's one of the most accurate kickers in NFL history. So, and I think he missed two quite early on, but I think he's got the experience to be able to kind of pull himself out of that slump. Yeah. But it's. I can see how a rookie kicker, if you miss maybe one or two, how you can spiral out of control with your confidence and then that only has a knock-on effect in missing the next couple. Yeah. It does have a knock-on effect. Uh, Ian, any lows for you? What stand out apart from the, that the one? Only, the only other one I've got really is, is just a general one. The low in general is the NFC East this year because it's got to be the worst division in football so far. And there was so much promise at the beginning of the season for this division. No, that's you listening to me. 
I do it every year, you get used to it. <laughs> but yeah, they, they all look fairly poor. You know, I mean, the Eagles are doing all right, but they're not getting the wins, are they? What is it? Washington are top with a two and two record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's, I mean, I watched the the the, the Texas showdown, um, and to be honest, I I thought the um, if it hadn't been for the Cowboys' defense, I thought the Texans would have run away with it a lot better. Yeah. Uh, they 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 really struggled to get Zeke in the game, um, and any players that that Dak did seem to make. I mean, I remember one where he was scrambling out the pocket and he just seemed to throw it blindly downfield. And I yeah. think it, it was more luck that judge. Yeah. yeah that Tavon Austin. Yeah. Yeah. And it seemed that, that whole play seemed more luck than he yeah. would. He'd spotted Tavon Austin and he'd aimed for him. It just looked like a, I'm launching this and I hope somebody gets it. Yeah. I mean, he did well to avoid, you know, JJ Watts got our hand on him. Then he, he shrugged off somebody else who went for his ankles, didn't he? So he did well on that part of it. But yeah, I'd, uh, I don't think that he's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. There's, um, and then, um, I, obviously, the the Giants... To be honest, they, that game looked a lot closer. I've, I've watched that game, and I've watched the highlights of that game, and quite frankly, the Panthers should not have let um, the Giants back into it. They, they were... I think they were nearly three scores up at one point and, and going into the third quarter and they should just not have let the Giants back into it um, and they did um, some great catches from Beckham and obviously some great play from from Barkley but the, the Panthers should have really had that sewn up um, you know great throw from Beckham don't forget yeah it was a great throw better than Manning would have done anyway yeah um, so I think Cam Newton needs to learn how to close. Well, that whole coaching team really needs to learn how to close a game out when you're in front. Maybe run the ball a little bit more. Um, they threw some silly picks, um, and then obviously they relied on Gano throwing down a 63-yard field goal to win it for them. Which really, when you were that far in front, you sh- going into the fourth quarter, you shouldn't really be doing. Um, and then I thought, I thought Washington were completely dominated against the Saints I thought the Saints absolutely dominated them yeah so yeah I agree with that 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 whole division looks ropey at best it looks like a team that's going to go out pretty much straight away in the playoffs yeah as it stands at the minute yeah I agree with you well well, we we had this a few years ago at NFC East and a team who won the division went through the losing record didn't they into playoffs I can't remember what year it was that's quite a few years ago though um, but that this we could have that situation this year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I could see that happening this year. Uh, any last for you, Stuart? Uh, have I not just talked about an entire division that's got Well, we can you can have that as a joint effort then, you two this week. Um, it's copying, it's copying me again, isn't it? Yeah, with if you if you're listening, viewers, these two argue between who copies off each other. Yeah, it's honest. Well, I did, the time. I did the we, we, we're, we're not doubting that you invented that game. That is all on you. You can have that. I, I'm 100% giving you credit for that. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do then, Stu. Since you'd have to think of a law, give me your offensive and defensive player of the week. Right, so defensive player of the week. Um, I'm, t- I'm torn a little bit. Um, I want to give a lot of credit to Jalen Smith because I thought Jalen Smith had a, an outstanding game 
um, in Texas. Um, I thought he, there was one one particular player where um, they'd done a, um, Texans had done kind of a bit of a bootleg with Watson at quarterback, where they were trying to run it into the corner, um, and it was a bit of a fake play where one the offensive line went one way and they wanted Dallas to shift with them, and he was going to spin out and run it in the other way. And I thought Jalen Smith not only did he, he shift with the entire Dallas team, but he then showed a great kind of pace to change direction and come back and absolutely smash Watson into touch and prevent the touchdown. So, um, And I thought he had a solid game all round. So I want to give a big shout-out to him. But I'm going to go with my uh, Defensive Player of the Year, uh, oh, sorry, of the week, as um, Geno Atkins at Cincinnati. Um, he absolutely caused all kinds of problems at the weekend. I think he got another two sacks. Um, and he's had a really good start to the season. I think that's kind of um, helping the Bengals to the position that they're in, um, which is looking like a, a you know a really good team. So I'm going to give defensive player of the week to Geno Atkins, um, offensive player of the week. Um, I'm going to give this to, and I think there's been quite a few options, but I'm going to give it to James Connor. Um, I thought the way that they came out against Atlanta and they managed to get themselves in front using the ground game quite heavily and providing him some kind of check down passes to get him into a bit of space and he's kind of when he got into that secondary he was running really really well and he was causing Atlanta problems and I know that we've talked about how that Atlanta defence is a bit ravaged with uh, injuries and isn't really looking as strong but I think um, I think Connor had a really good good game yeah he did have a good game same to you Ian um Defensive, I, I agree with you again about Jalen Smith. Um, he had a great game for us. But there was there was a guy um, for Cleveland, Jamie Collins. Um, well, I, I think he only got one sack in the game, but he was just everywhere. Every time I saw Baltimore um, with the ball on offense, Collins was there. I just he just seemed to be wherever the ball was going, he was there throughout the game. So. He was my defensive player of the week. And he's not somebody I've really... I think it was at the Patriots, originally, Jamie Collins. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, but no, I was really impressed with him um, at the weekend. Offensively, I'm going to cheer Stewart up here. Because it's um, Adam Thielen. Yeah. Yeah, boy. Yeah, and it's, it's not even just for this week. It's just... It's week in, week out with him now, isn't it? Yeah, he is. he's definitely performing each week now. Yeah, and, and he's not, he doesn't get talked about the same way some of the receivers, and I think you've got to put him up there now as an elite receiver, because he does it consistently. Yeah, but do, you not, do you not just think that that receiver group in Diggs and Phelan is probably the best pairing in the NFL? I think he probably is now. I'm just trying to think there's any other. There's, there's no other that springs to mind now. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Do, you, do, you not, do you not think maybe Hearns and Beasley? Is, is no, we'll end that conversation there, Ian. <laughs> Mo- moving on. So, my offensive player, you've already touched on him, Stuart, so it's a big shout again to James Connor in how he's just doing that. Oh, see, who's copying who now, eh? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, I'll, I'll give it to Sam Darnold for pulling out and doing new things. Yeah, to be honest, I did think about Sam Donald. I thought he had a good game, but um, I thought James Conner was um, was really good. He, he 
with everything that's still going on at the Steelers, for what what he's doing, it's fantastic. And my defensive player of the week, I'm gonna have to give it to him. He didn't. And it was literally because of his spirit and doing it for the team. And I'm sorry again, Ian, but we're praising Stuart even more. Here. My defensive player of the week has got to go to Joseph. Yes, Linville Joseph. Because everyone must surely agree, when a ball's fumbled, yeah. nine times out of ten, you do not want Joseph catching it. Uh, yeah, but not only that, but he ran 65 yards as well. Yeah. And celebrated, but then it was on the oxygen. Yeah, he was straight on the <laughs> oxygen. The best thing about that was the fact that how quickly the rest of the... Um, we got... Um, got some good blockers in there, didn't you? It was Weatherly and Darnell Hunter, I think, that managed to catch him up and get some really good blocks in behind him. So it just kind of shows the speed that we've got on that line. That hey, Well, I mean, we, it wasn't hard to catch up with him, but we caught up with him before any of the Eagles players. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was a good one to uh, watch him kind of rumble his way all the way into the end zone. At one point, any points, Stu, did you think he was like, that was it, he was just going to pass out or somewhere halfway there? I, I was thinking... Were you willing him on? In the game. <laughs> Well, I kind of wanted him to score, but then when he was on the oxygen, I didn't think he was going to come back out on the, <laughs> the offence when the offence came back out again. No. Oh, sorry, the defence, because he looked knackered. Yeah, he did. And it was. You wonder if it was like in fourth quarter either. He still had a bit of a game. Know, to... it, was, it was in the second quarter. He, he, I thought we might have to find ourselves another defensive tackle here because he looks knackered. I wonder if he was like at half time, he was in like an oxygen tank or something, just refiltering his lungs. Probably was. So, he's definitely a good candidate for defensive player at week for myself. Yeah. This week, me and Stuart have got a special treat for you guys. An interview with a gentleman who's taken time out of his busy schedule. The coach, Jeff Reinbold. He's the current special teams coordinator at the British Lions in the Canadian Football League. He's many known to us. He's been at NFL Europe with Ryan Fire. But also, on Sky Sports is one of the pundits with Neil. And he's taking out some special time this week before a big game for the Lions to speak to us guys. Here is the interview now. Hi Jeff. How you guys doing? Uh, not bad yourself. I'm good. Just to let you know Jeff, so my name's Richard Butler and uh, my partner is in crime on a Stuart Horsfall. How are you doing Jeff? How you doing? Hello, man. How are you? Yeah, good. I'm really good. Thanks for doing this. No, no problem. Love it. It means a lot. Yeah. yeah. So we've got just some questions lined up, Jeff. Just if that's all right to run through you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so first question is: um, How did you first get into football? Well, how, how did I? Yeah. You know what? I, I grew up in uh, in America, where you know there's really three big sports: there's basketball, baseball, and there's football. And as a young kid, I remember watching. Uh, game on TV, I was like really, really young. I was probably six or eight. And it was Notre Dame against Michigan State. And it was a tremendous game. And I just was caught up in it. And so started playing on the street with, you know, the kids on the block. And, and then, you know, that went to junior high school and then high school on to college. And, and you know, it, and then from when my playing days ended, I didn't, you know, didn't really have a plan for after football and, and uh, my what my coach my last coach told me that I should go into coaching and that's actually how it happened so I just got some great direction I've been really fortunate throughout the whole time whether as a player or as a coach to have had great people around me and great people to help me along the way excellent 
Yeah, like you said, there is a, like the free sports in America, so you, you, you pick the right one. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's actually now. You know, it's more and more. You just talk about from surely from popularity and revenue standpoint. Football has gone past baseball and basketball, and you know, baseball used to be called the national pastime in America. But I think if you really evaluate it now, the national pastime in the United States is the National Football League. Yeah, definitely by the viewing figures alone states it's the biggest sport now if not just in America yeah. but worldwide as well yeah I think I'd better sit, watch out because it's climbing in the UK now guys yeah we love it yeah. over here yeah I mean I was going to say out of those three sports in the, in the UK um, the NFL is, is becoming really big obviously you know we guys are obviously trying to push it as much as we can but yeah it's massive I, I love it I think it's brilliant yeah and, and the thing that's greater as we've gone through this globalization of the game and you know haven't had a chance to be a part of that was really a, an enjoyable experience but no matter where you go in the world now there are NFL fans you see the jerseys you see the, you know, the, the t-shirts the hats the people you know are more aware of the game obviously now in this computer age than they were 20 years ago and I think in the UK it's been an exponential growth just in terms of you know uh, the overall knowledge of the fans. Forget about. I mean, I know the viewer numbers are up. I know the you know the ticket sales are crazy and the revenues are higher than they've ever been. But just when you go to the when you go to the people and you you talk to the fans and you listen to what they have to say and hear their questions, you recognize that the fan base is so knowledgeable now. And yeah. almost in every case when we brought an, an NFL player or coach over here to work with us they're shocked at the level of sophistication of the fans yeah yeah i mean i i think that uh, the uk fans have really kind of embraced the nfl because i mean we love a good contact sport in the uk i mean we've, we've got rugby as which one of our main sports over here and, and i think when people start seeing the nfl and they see the contacts and they see you know some of the big players that's what i think really draws people in and I think that's like you say, it's just growing and growing and growing and growing. I think it's going to continue to grow, which brings me on to a point that I was going to kind of pick up later on. But do you think we're heading towards a UK franchise? Yeah, I really do believe, and I think it's it's sooner than later. I think it's going to happen within the next three years. Uh, I think you know the interesting thing will be what happens with this Wembley sale, is that you know either happens or doesn't happen. But you know the Jaguars have uh, have a you know presence in the marketplace. You know, 365 days a year, 24 or seven. You know, and so they recognize they've invested in this market, and uh, you know, you, you look at how fast those games sell out. You look at the huge, huge, huge interest in the games in this in in the UK, and you recognize as as we all know that the NFL is a business first, and the opportunity to grow your business globally is what every major corporation wants. I don't care if you're you know, Jaguar or if you're General Motors. You're, you're trying to create a niche in the, in the international marketplace. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're going to see a franchise in the UK very soon. Do you, do you think, Jeff, they'll replace one of the existing 32 or do you think they'll create a 33rd team? My guess will be that it'll be a, one of the existing 32. It just depends on the timing. If it's in the next couple of years, I would say it'd be one of the existing 32. If it goes beyond that, then there's a chance that it'll be an expansion team because of the fact that they will 
I, I can't see them expanding by one, but I can see them expanding by two. And, you know, there are cities certainly in the United States that would obviously welcome an NFL franchise because having an NFL team in your city is so good for your, you know, the economy and the image and everything yeah. of the community that, you know, those cities here are clamoring for an opportunity to have an NFL team. Yeah, because there's some, some cities in the States where I've lost teams recently, like St. Louis, San Diego, Oakland are about to lose their teams, so you'd, they'd love to probably get straight back in there if it did expand. Yeah, you know, if, if they did, you know, there's a number of teams. Birmingham is a, is a huge football city, San, San Antonio, Memphis, uh, you know, and then you talk about the teams that have lost franchises, you know, Oakland being, will be the most recent. St. Louis obviously is a city that has tremendous sports teams and, and history of sports teams. So there's enough places where they can go in the United States. I, but I think what Mr. Tagliabue's vision is, and I think the vision of the, the league in general is that they would like to expand outside of our borders and put teams around the world because it is such an important thing in, in doing business these days. Yeah, because I mean, there's, there's been games played in Mexico as well. Do you think there's a, an opportunity there that a team might look at there? I, I think each, each of the markets is unique in its own way. I think that, you know, one of the things that obviously has been a challenge or one of the challenges that people mentioned when they talked about a UK franchise was travel. And I, yeah. But I think that's a hurdle that they can overcome with scheduling and you know, it's no further for for the Jets, for example, to fly to London and play than it is for them to fly to Los Angeles and play. So they can handle that issue. Um, you know, there are there are you know demographic issues. There's issues of safety, player safety, fan safety, all that stuff. That you know, as you they they go through an exhaustive study when they start thinking about moving a team into the into an area because one of the things that the league doesn't want to do is as they expand is to fail in a market. And uh, I, I think that's a real, real important thing for the league. So all of the, if you if you just know historically what's what's transpired since Alistair Kirkwood got that first game in in uh, UK, the NFL has continually put up not roadblocks, just challenges in front of the in front of the uh, UK fans. Can you support two games? Can you support a third game? Can you do two games in two weeks? All those things are tests of the market to make sure that the that the, the fan interest is genuine and it's there and it will continue and I think they've you know our fans in the UK have passed passed the test with flying colors every time yeah I, I think the one thing that I'd like to point out I mean I know it's a lot of it is the UK fans but we go down every year and I'm surprised by a lot of the fans that we're pulling from Europe as well I mean you know we've got a lot of fans that come over from Germany there's a lot of fans that come over from from France where they're only an hour's flight away to get into London to watch these games. So I think the draw is not just the UK. I think it's you know quite a lot of Central Europe gets sucked into the, the NFL atmosphere in, in London as well. Yeah, you know what, you're exactly right. I think you could probably you know, jump on a train in Paris and be in London almost as quick as you could take a train from Edinburgh to be to London. So yeah. you know, if you think about it from that standpoint, it, it is... Yeah. It is. We are reaching over onto the to the to the continent itself to draw fans. And for an NFL fan who's whether he's a displaced American or just an NFL fan in Hamburg or Berlin or Oslo or wherever, you're very rarely going to have an opportunity to see a game any closer than the game in the UK. So 
I think it's a, it's been a real, real positive for the National Football League. Exciting times for us UK fans. Definitely. No better time to be a fan of NFL football or a player. I mean, you look yeah. around and you see a guy like Effie Obata who came through the Pathway program as a kid that, you know, again, this is hard to believe even. You know, I mean, this is one of those things that Hollywood, if you took this story to Hollywood, they'd throw you out of the, out of the director's guild. But um, here's a kid that five years ago was playing for the London Warriors. And, yeah. you know, now he's the... You know the the NFC Defensive Player of the Week. I mean, that is an incredible story. But there are guys now. You know, we have our players. We have Jay Ajay. We have Manuel Watson. We have Jack Crawford. We have our own indigenous players playing in the National Football League, and that's been the spinoff benefit. That when we were in the you know in the program twenty years ago. A lot of people in the National Football League, and I'm talking about in the, in the offices in New York, said this is a pipe dream. There is no way a kid from Europe will ever be able to play in the National Football League. And, you know, Sebastian Vollmer can show his Super Bowl rings to those guys now. That's <laughs> proof yeah. that it, yeah, it can happen. I, I think, I mean, we were talking about this on previous podcasts. We also think that a lot of um, people who play rugby in the UK, they've got a lot of transferable skills. You know, you only got to look at Alex Gray up at, at Atlanta Falcons, who's proving that, you know, he's represented England at uh, rugby and he's taken those skills and he's doing quite well in Atlanta. So I think there is a lot of untapped talent to be going after in the UK as well. There's no question. I mean, you, you, again, you look at some of those guys. You know, you talk about Melick. Melick was a, a boxer and a base and a basketball player. He never played football. You know, indigenous football. He went to the UK or went to the United States on a you know, dream of being a basketball player in college and, and you know, ended up playing junior college football and, and then into the National Football League. There are great athletes, you know, around the world and the more and more kids that play, choose to play the game, the, the you know, the more and more guys we are going to see making that transfer. And certainly those rugby kids, you know, you think about it, and again, this is certainly not to knock the sport of rugby because I'm a big fan of rugby, but uh, a, you know, a premiership rugby player is not going to make anywhere near the money that, and you know, just a run-of-the-mill NFL player is going to make. So, for a kid like that who is does enjoy contact sport, who is big and strong and can run and do the things that you physically have to be able to do, why not chase that dream? Yeah, that's where I let myself down because I'm not big, strong, and I can't <laughs> run. So I'll have to find something else to do. That's yeah. why you and I are doing podcasts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we, exactly, we've yeah. both decided, Jeff, I'd be the snapper and Stuart's going to be the kicker. That's why I, that, they would be our roles. I reckon, I reckon I could be a kicker. After the recent troubles in the NFL with kickers, I reckon I could be one. Yeah, they may be calling you next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've polished my boots and everything. All right. So, so we've got the free back-to-back game starting, Jeff, uh, a week on Sunday. Just quite three highlight games this year so any of them games stand out in particular to you on matchups well you know for me personally it's to have a chance to to see the Raiders would be a magical experience because that's a team that is so storied in NFL and AFL history and you know uh, they travel so well you know anytime the Raiders come to your town you know it's like uh, it's kind of a cross between a, a Navy ship just pulled into port and the circus came to town. So, 
Yet yeah, there is some colourful characters. It is a. Yeah, they will be on it, and they are not shy about letting you know that they're Raider fans. So, you know, to be a part of that kind of spectacle is is certainly unique. And you know, you've got such great talent coming to the UK now. You know, Russell Wilson, and on and on and on and on through those games. Great football teams, great football coaches, and, and great football. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, a bit more on your side now, Jeff. Um, how is you enjoying your third spell back at the Lions, and is it the season going? How are you hoping? Well, you know, the CFL is a, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. We play 18 games. We actually play two more games than the National Football League plays. But right now we're in a position to, to make the playoffs. We've got to finish our last five games well because we could – you know, we could be in the playoffs, we could even have a home playoff game, or we could be out of the playoffs, depending on how we play. So it's in our court, you know, we have our, it's in our hands, we you know, can can control our own destiny, and really in, in professional football, that's really all you want, is an opportunity to compete and have an opportunity to get the playoffs, and once you get to the playoffs, it, you know, you never know, it's it's like going it's like going to the high school dance you know you you can't dance with the best looking girl in the dance if you don't get in the door so we just got to try and find a way to get in the door yeah um, you've got Toronto tomorrow it's, I was reading up here you actually it's a, actually a family fun day as well isn't it for all the fans tomorrow yeah it, it's it, this this league particularly and this and this team do a great job of you know uh being active in our communities. The CFL is the oldest professional sports league in existence in the world. You know, we have been playing professional football here for, you know, over 120 years. And so, you know, this is, these teams are deeply rooted in these communities and the culture of this country and the fiber of, you know, Canadian sport. And it's, frankly, it's a fun thing to be a part of because it's not as corporate as the National Football League. It's not as sterile as the National Football League. I think the players and the fans get an opportunity to interact much more in the CFL than they do in the NFL. And, and you know, I frankly enjoy that. Yeah, sometimes. Sorry, Richard. No. I noticed that this year the, um, the CFL's got a little bit more, obviously, news press because of Johnny Manziel's moving up there. Is, do you think that's been a good thing for the league or a, or a bad thing? No, I think it's a good thing for the league. Obviously, you know, there have been a number of guys that have crossed borders in both ways. You know, Joe Theismann started his career up here and played for the Toronto Argonauts before he went down to Washington and led the Redskins to a Super Bowl championship. Uh, you know, conversely, you know, Warren Moon, you know, did his thing here before he went to Houston. Doug Flutie, uh, other guys, you know, have come the other way and, and uh, finished their careers here or made a career here. Uh, and, and you you know you you think of Johnny Manziel certainly being the most high profile one, but Vince Ferragamo, who quarterbacked the Rams to a Super Bowl in the seventies, uh, left the Rams and came to Montreal to quarterback for the Alouettes. So, you know, it, it, there has been a lot of cross border traffic. Cam Wake, who's one of the superstars in the league, in the National Football League right now, is a is a uh, is a CFL veteran. He was a great player here for the BC Lions for three seasons out of Penn State. So. <clears throat> it, it's it's kind of fun to watch those guys go back and forth, and, and you recognize that the, the talent level on both sides. You know when you see the how much they travel between leagues. <clears throat> who, who's, who's the highest profile player then that you think you've coached? 
you know, I, I would say, you know, I've been really, really fortunate. I've been on teams with five different Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks. And I would say that Doug Flutie would probably be the guy that is the highest profile guy. Because you, you have to understand with Doug, he was not only a Heisman Trophy winner, he was a legend at Boston College. And we all remember the Hail Mary throw against the University of Miami Hurricanes to you know, to win, and that really catapulted his, you know, popularity. He was a small guy, so he was, you know, obviously every every kid that wasn't six five and you know couldn't throw the ball through the through the you know through the wall like Ryan Leaf could, you know, dreamed of being Doug Flutie one day, and and so he he probably was the guy that meant the most to the most people of all the guys I've, I've had an opportunity to be around. Did, did I read correctly somewhere that when you were coaching him, he actually threw for a record, record yardage in a season? Was it 6,000? Yeah, 000, he did. Over 6,000. Oh, oh my apologies. It's, it's like 6,300, I believe, almost 300. It's never been it's never been eclipsed. It's the most yards ever thrown uh, by a pro quarterback. Uh, we had 4,000-yard receivers on that team. It was an amazing, amazing year, and... That was the season that really put Doug back on the map, and then he went back down to quarterback in Buffalo, and then on to San Diego, where he finished up his career. And, and uh, you know, I had a chance to see Doug last fall. I went to the Navy Notre Dame game, and he does broadcasting now for Notre Dame Sports. And uh, we we stood out in the middle of Notre Dame Stadium on the grass one day and just had a great conversation and a lot of memories and laughs. Excellent. That kind of brings me nicely on to my next question with regards to passing yards. Do you think the NFL now is moving more towards a pass-heavy offense rather than a kind of standard historical run game? Uh, man, I'm going to tell you something. If you watch this, you look at the numbers that these guys are rolling up these, you know, these games. Like last night, you, you know, Brady's over 300. Andrew Luck's over, over 300. And it's really cool watching Andrew Luck play for me because I, I said Oliver Luck. Well, Oliver Luck is his father, and Oliver Luck was our first GM in NFL Europe with the Rhine Fire, and Andrew was just this little five- or six-year-old kid that used to hang around and pull on his dad's pant leg and you know, <laughs> want to kick, kick a soccer ball around practice. You know? So now you're watching him out there with that beard, and he's got to get shaved. That's a bad beard. But I did, th- I did think that. I did think that watching highlights this morning. <laughs> Yeah, he, 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 he watching him out there throwing the ball. It's just really cool to think that that once upon a time that kid was that little skinny kid out there kicking the soccer ball around our practice field. He, he has progressively got better each week, so that tells me he's kind of getting stronger and stronger and more confident as the weeks go by. Yeah, and you know, you look at what he did last night. Really, with a depleted receiver core, didn't have you know T.Y. Hilton and you know uh, and and. I think the Colts are headed in the right direction. I, you know, that defense is maturing. They're getting better. Marcus Hunt is playing extremely well. And, yeah, I, I give the I give Chris Bally, the GM, a lot of credit there. He's moving that team in the right way. It's just, you know, they're just a, probably a draft or two away from being competitive. Yeah, I was, I've been really impressed with Leonard as well for on the defense as well. I think he's had a really good start for the season as well. Yeah, yeah, it was tough to see him nicked up last night, but you know, yeah. uh, you, you look at what he's done. He's a dynamic young player, and you know, Chris Ballard's a guy I've known since you know a long time ago. His, his work as a scout with the Bears and, and the Chiefs, and uh, you know, he used to come into into Dallas when I was at SMU, and I was a pro liaison, so he, 
I had a chance to develop a pretty good relationship with him. And one of the things that always impressed me about him was number one, how genuine a person he was, and number two, how well, how detailed he was about information, how much he knew about guys. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, he's he's moving that Colt franchise, you know, in the positive way. Uh, one more question, because obviously talking about the the pass game there, we've got a, a, a member of the team who's a, quite a big Dallas Cowboys fan, and he kind of wants me to ask whether you think that Dallas really need to start shifting their offense away from being so heavily reliant on Zeke. Well, I tell you what, here's the thing I would say, and and again, I'm gonna I'm gonna stump for one of my guys, and that's Cole Beasley, who was a kid I coached as a college player, and I think is one of the best inside slot receivers in the National Football League. They got to find ways to get him the ball more. They don't have right now a consistent outside guy, and you know Tavon Austin is Tavon Austin, but they need they've got to develop an outside receiver. There's a lot of talk right now about Dez making a comeback to Dallas, and you know when you're talking about Jerry Jones, there's nothing that he does would surprise you. So could that happen? Yeah, I believe it could happen. I don't think it will happen, but anything's possible. They, yeah, anything's possible in Jerry world, you know, and. Um, but I would say the Cowboys, if they don't trade for another receiver somehow during the course of the season, that they're going to have to diversify the offense some because you're just seeing right now so many eight- and nine-man boxes, and even a back as great as Zeke in that offensive line, it's really, really difficult if you can't get more, you know, what we call positive looks. When I say positive looks, I'm talking about, you know, six-man boxes so that, you know, they have a chance to block everybody. Right now, they, you know, they're they always one short. Do you, do you think um, do you think Dak's the quarterback that they need to take the franchise forward? I, you know what? He's not played as well as he had since his rookie year. And, and uh, I, I think he, watching him the other night, I think he's really feeling the pressure. You've got to understand, there's a couple places in America where when you are that position, you are in incredible scrutiny. Middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears, quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, you know, uh, those are, you know, those are positions where you better be good because you're going to, you're in the spotlight so much and you're following such great players. And so whether it's, you know, Roger Staubach or Troy Aikman or whomever, that's Cowboy fans are used to a level of, you know, play, and Tony Romo. I mean, so it's tough for Zach or Dak because he not only has the pressure of not good enough players on the outside to get the ball to, he's got the expectation of Cowboy Nation, which is extremely high at the quarterback position. Yeah, I, I always find that the uh, the Dallas Cowboys are a little like Man United in the the UK, where. You've got the fans of the team who like them, and then everybody else don't particularly like them. Yeah, that's 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 a very very good observation because you are one or the other with the Cowboys. You either are yeah, a diehard diehard Cowboy fan, or you you know your favorite team is whoever Dallas is playing that week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, I'm I'm more the other way where I'm uh, purely because a friend of ours is a Dallas Cowboy fans, and I like winding him up. So. Um, <laughs> Well, where do you stand on Man U? No, I don't like them either. <laughs> I don't like them either. <laughs> um, Jeff, from a, from a special team's point of view, also your speciality, how have you found the new rule changes this year and how have the NFL teams adapted to them early on in the season? 
Well, it's been interesting watching, particularly the kickoff rule, you know, because that I think is the most dynamic rule change that we've had um, this off season, certainly. And you know, um, I, I I think that the coaches right now, frankly, are still kind of figuring out what's the best way, how to approach it. Do I kick the ball for the touchback, or do I try and get the ball returned? Because now the return teams are in so much of a more difficult position because of the way that they have to line up. They have to have so many guys up around, you know, the takeoff spot, around where the ball's kicked, as opposed to having, you know, they would put big offensive linemen in the back end and then just create moving walls of humanity (laughs) in front of the return. Well, those days are over. It requires a different skill set now. And I think it's going to take really probably about another three or four or five weeks probably until all of the coaches get comfortable with what, you know, with what they can and can't do inside these new rules and their personnel. Yeah. How, um, how do you think the uh, the old rough in the passer? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. I don't know if you guys saw this. I saw a brilliant treat, tweet today, and it was a it was a film. I don't know how they got it, but it was the Rams were practicing. They were an individual period, and they have a drill where they take a dummy and they stand it up next to a next to a, like a a pad or a high jump pit kind of thing, and then the, the defensive linemen were coming, and the, the the dummy was a you know what we call a pop up dummy. It's it's a big dummy that you knock it down, it'll come back up, and the D linemen were hitting it like it was the quarterback, and then working on rolling over in what we call an alligator roll, so that they actually land on themselves, not on the quarterback. And so, and Thomas and Sue, it was his turn to go. And he took about two steps up towards the dummy, stopped, walked over to the dummy, and just punched it. I did say that. I did say that. Punched it and knocked it out. And I said, well, that's one way to do it. <laughs> yeah. This, I think that punch would have cost him a few dollars if he does Yeah. Anything. I have to say, there's, there's one player that I do feel sorry for, and that's Claire Matthews. Yeah, I tell you what, it's so hard to play defense now. I mean, you look at the numbers that are getting run up on defensive coaches now, and, you know, the defense can't touch a receiver after five yards. They can't, you know, you can't have the days of that safety patrol in the middle of the field, and you try and throw a skinny post or a dig in there, and that guy's going to come down, Ronnie Lott, blow you up, and, and there'll be pieces of the receiver all over the field. Well... You look at the old NFL, and and there weren't very many post routes thrown or or seam routes thrown. Everything was thrown outside because everybody had one of those big safeties patrolling the middle of the field, and they could, you know, they were like enforcers in there. That's changed now with all these new rules about how you can hit a guy and where you can hit a guy and all that stuff. It's really, really, really made it tough for defensive players. And here's the thing about it, guys. I'm not. I'm not a math major. And physics, I don't know if I ever even had a physics class. But I do know this. When you're a 300-pound body and you're moving as fast as these guys are moving, it's really hard to, within one step, change your body position or stop. Or So they're almost asking guys to do the physically impossible when they put these kind of rules in. Yeah. yeah. I, I was, I, we, had, we talked about on the podcast a couple of weeks ago where we were saying that if, you know, when you get – somebody coming off the edge to hit the quarterback, they're going so fast that they're naturally going to take the quarterback off his feet because they're already backpedaling. They're already slightly off balance because they're wanting to make the throw. So when they say, no, they're taking the QB off his feet, well, that's just physics. That's what's going to happen. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's why I thought those. That's why Clay got so frustrated, and the Packers, yeah. you know, uh, the Packers people got so frustrated about the fact that, you know, I mean, he didn't do anything. There is a difference, and again, this is. Uh, I'll give you guys just a little bit of a history. I worked for a guy once who was a defensive coordinator in the National Football League and taught the players to when you when you hit the quarterback, wrap him up, grab his arms, and try and get your arms around him so he can't so he can't break his fall, and then throw your feet over your head is how he used to say it. Which meant what? You you basically flipped and and drove him into the ground because the object was to separate his shoulder or hurt him so that you know he'd, he'd leave the game because it's such a cool, even in those days it was a quarterback dependent league. That's the old NFL. The new NFL now is completely different. Everything is about protecting those guys. I get it. It's about revenue. It's about the stars of the game. It's about. I mean, if you if you're a sponsor who's spending millions and millions of dollars for. You know, to, to have your brand attached to the NFL. Do you want it attached to CJ Beathard or Jimmy Garoppolo? I mean, that's just business. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It is true. Um, in the first few weeks, Jeff, is there any players who've impressed you and any what have disappointed you so far? Well, you know, obviously the biggest disappointment that I've seen is, you know, watching Earl Thomas go off the. You know, off the field in a cart with his leg in an air cast and then flipping off his own sideline. That, that to me, was really tragic because here's a guy that's one of the greatest players in Seahawks history and will, you know, should be remembered and is one of the key parts of two Super Bowl teams and, and a real leader and great guy in the locker room. And his memory probably is going to be tainted because of that one incident and the acrimony that was involved in that, in that contract dispute. Uh, in terms of guys that have surprised me with how well they're playing right now I mean he's not a guy everybody talks about but can you find a receiver out there that's making more plays than Cooper Cup is for those Rams <laughs> I mean here's a kid out of Eastern Washington University that gets drafted in the third round and you know I mean he just is really 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 playing well so you know it's, it's been a tremendous tremendous early season in the league and I think it's going to be a great dogfight in a lot of divisions down to the playoffs Dollar. you don't need to come you don't need to convince me about Cooper Cup. I'm 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 on that train until he destroyed you at fantasy last week. Until he destroyed me <laughs> at fantasy last week, yeah. I wasn't particularly happy with him then. <laughs> well, just remember, just remember, it's only only one week. It's on to the next week now. It's only a game. It's only a game. On to Cincinnati. Um. Just one little other point. So obviously, you're on about like we were saying there about Earl Thomas. Now, during the game, there were mentions that he was in potentially maybe getting traded away to the Chiefs over all this contract dispute. Where do you stand, Jeff, on the whole Livian Bell and that he might return Week Seven just so he can say that he's turned up but still not play? Well, I, I, I understand, and, I, and I'm, I'm in sympathy for the players in that they they have a very short window to earn money and. You know, this is not soccer, this is not tennis, this is not cricket, this is a violent, violent sport, and your career can end in one play. And so, you know, these uh, typically these contracts are not guaranteed contracts in the National Football League, and, and it's different than other sports. So they are at a disadvantage. And, 
there's going to be more and more of this as you see contracts being renegotiated and escalated. Because if you're a defensive lineman, well, you know, Aaron Donald's contract sets the bar. And so if you're having a good year and there are other guys around that are not having as good a year as you are and you're not getting them, you're not being paid the money they are, everybody's telling you, your agent, your friends, your wife, everybody's telling you, you should be making more money. And so that's what leads to these kinds of situations. Now, in Le'Veon Bell's case, I think it was a wake-up call for him when he saw what happened to Earl and that, you know, hey, if you're serious, if you really are serious about this, you know, then maybe the thing you need to do is sit. And, and you know, uh, now I heard that the, the Steelers are threatening to use a transition tag on him if they if he sits the whole year. So that's not going to end real well. And I think that there's scenes of or, or, you know, little snippets of discontent all through the Steelers right now. I, I, that's that's typically been a team that's very, very together, very, very, you know, take care of their own business, keep things in-house. And, you know, Antonio Brown's been vocal about his displeasure. Ben Roethlisberger, you know, uh, you know, it's been – Tomlin's got his hands full right now. Yeah, about do, you, do you think that if um, if they do like a, maybe an 8-8 an eight and eight season and Tomlin's in for uh, some tough discussions in the offseason? Well, I, I, I think certainly there'll be tough discussions. But you, you got to understand now that the Roonies are a team that has not hired and fired coaches. That's not their motive or motif rather you look at it whether it was you go how many have they had in the last in recent history Chuck Knoll and then you go to Bill Cower and then you go to Mike Thomas and that's probably covers 30 years of Steeler history where you know I don't know how many coaches they've had in Cleveland in the last 30 years so or <laughs> last 10 years so it's just not that's not the Steeler way particularly but you know, I'll be honest with you. To me, the Steelers are and have been an underachieving franchise. They are very, very, very talented. And defensively, they've got, I think, seven first-round draft choices or six first-round draft choices in their front seven. They've got Artie Burns as a first-round draft choice. They go out and sign Joe Hayden, and they still can't stop anybody. So they've got some issues. It has been noticed. Um, just... Probably one little more thing. Like I say, on the upping of the scores, we've got two undefeated sides going into this weekend with the Rams and Chiefs. Do you see them both coming out into the other side of the weekend still being 5 and 0? Well, I think the Rams, yes, uh, because I just think they're, they're, they're so much better than Seattle is. And uh, you look at, uh, you know, Seattle is so dependent on Russell Wilson. And no team has hit or sacked Russell Wilson more times than the Rams have in his career. So he's, you know, he, he's he's going to feel the onslaught. He's going to get an awful lot of Aaron Donald and Namagansu and the rest of that Rams defense. And, and I just don't know if they have the firepower, uh, you know, to, to run. Because to, if you're going to beat the Rams, you're probably have to get scoring, you know, scoring fast. Um, on the other hand, I, am, I have picked the Jaguars to beat the Chiefs and I, and I tell you why I think that the Jaguars are the only team that I can think of in the National Football League right now that has the speed at all three levels of their defense to match up with the Chiefs and I think that the, the, what you'll see the Jaguars do is control the football run the ball a lot 
take the Arrowhead crowd out of the game, and two, keep that high park Cincinnati offense, or excuse me, Kansas City offense on the sideline. To me, the whole key is, can if the Chiefs get off early, if they can get a 10 or 14 point early lead, I think the game's over. But the longer that the Jaguars make the Chiefs work and the harder that the Chiefs have to work to get points, then I think the ads are in the Jaguars. And I think I frankly think the Jaguars can win this thing. I am um, we we discussed this at length on this week's podcast and I kind of think the other way because I worried I agree with the run game, but I don't see that if Fournette isn't fit, I can't see them running the ball effectively. And then I'm not sure what kind of game you're going to get out of Blake Bortles because he's a bit hit and miss so I'm kind of erring on the side of I think KC will outscore the defence well that again I think that's that's the way it'll have to be I I, I just I, I watch Kansas City's defence and I've watched it very closely for a couple of years and Bobby Sutton I think is a very good coach and he's not supporting but they just really struggle to get stops and you know that Jacksonville is a pounded team. They love the physical part of the game. The Chiefs are not that kind of team. They're more of a finesse team. So this will be an interesting... This will tell us an awful lot about both teams, I think. Brilliant. Have you got anything else, Joe? Um, no, I've I'm, just got... I'm, go ahead. I've just got one last question. Um, and this is this is a bit of a... A bit of an out of the out of the curveball kind of question. It's one that we asked mm-hmm. James Cole when he was on as well, um, and that's what's your favourite cheese? <laughs> Scottish blue. Oh, it's a good call. It's a good shout. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the blue cheese though, to be honest. Hey, but, Scottish yeah. cheese is about the best cheese I've ever had in the world. Now I'm just telling you. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of blue cheese though. That's that's the only thing. Uh, what are you a cheddar man? No, I mean we were, we were talking to James Corr about, it and I'm I'm a grilled halloumi fan. Oh, there you go, you big time. That's the prawn sandwich and grilled halloumi, right? That's probably your deal with a nice glass of white wine. <laughs> oh, it's not, yeah, it's okay. I go to Greece a lot on holiday, and grilled halloumis. That's that's where it's at. You know, then you're drinking it with ouzo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, fellas, it's been a blast. Yeah, thank you very much, Jeff, and hopefully we might be able yeah. to catch up with you later in the season. Let's do it. I, if we get up to Scotland, let's let's now and have a beer together. Yeah, excellent. All right, mate. Definitely. Take Thank care. you very much, Jeff. You're welcome. Cheers, Thank Jeff. You. Cheers, bye. Aloha. Bye. Bye. The NFL in London, game one. So it's the first game of the London series, 2018. Seattle, Oakland. All three of us guys will be there on Sundays. Will many of you guys? How do you see this one going? Because a couple of weeks ago, it was looking like it was going to be a real bad game. But in the last couple of weeks, Seattle have stepped up the game, Stuart. Uh, I think it's a big stretch to say they've stepped up the game. I think they found a way to um, to, to try and worry the Rams, which was they ran the ball a lot. Um, I think Russell Wilson only completed 13 passes in the entire game. So... Um, and a lot of them were large players to to Tyler Lockett, so I don't think that you know I wouldn't say they're completely out of the woods because I'm not sure they'll be able to run that much against Oakland. Um, well, I mean they might do um, if that's the way they're going. Then uh, be interesting to see, but um, I, I still think Seahawks will win it purely because I think they've probably got a little bit more 
about them than the, the Raiders at the minute, who just seems like they're in completely disarray. Um, you know, Marshawn Lynch must be the most frustrated man in the world because, again, for some bizarre reason, you get on the two-yard line um, and he must have flashbacks to that Seahawks game um, in the Super Bowl when he could have just run it and Derek Carr decides to fake hand off, turn out on the bootleg and throw a pick six into the end zone. Um, and I just don't understand why when you're that close, you don't just give it to Marshawn Lynch and let him absolutely barrel his way into... It's two yards. Marshawn Lynch could do that in two plays, or you know, definitely two plays if, if you give him the opportunity. So the play calling is, is questionable. Um, Derek Carr's throwing it a lot more than he has to because you know Oakland are just behind all the time, so he's having to to um, to throw it all the time. I think when I looked um, when I've been looking over the weekend, um, I think Marshawn Lynch has most of his touches in the first half, and that's that's mainly because in the second half the Raiders are behind and Derek Carr has got to start throwing it around to to try and catch up. Yeah. Um, I, I think the defense since they got rid of Khalil Mack has just looked poor. I think Martavis Bryant is a bit of a drop machine. He dropped another one at the weekend, which was thrown straight to him. Um, yeah, I just think that both teams I think have got issues, but I think the issues at the Raiders are a lot bigger than what the CX have got. Yeah, Ian, you'd probably say from what John Stewart's and I did, you'd everyone you'd think Oakland at home team but it looks like it's going to be an away win this weekend yeah I, I think so I mean the thing is as well Seahawks have still got a lot of gone from the teams that got to the Super Bowl but they've still got experience there they've got Pete Carroll um, exactly and Russell with Russell Wilson you're always in the game yeah, aren't you yeah. um, and and I thought the Seahawks did well to stay with the Rams well stay with them they were in front weren't they but the Gab the Rams a good game and the Rams have to dig deep. Now, I can't I couldn't see Raiders doing anything like that. No. Know, the, the Seahawks are gonna just have too much for Oakland, I think. Well, Oakland like Stewart said, Oakland are just a bit of a mess at the minute, aren't they? Yeah. Well in week one Rams destroyed Raiders, didn't they? Yeah. So are we are we going for um, both away wins this week, Seattle? I'm hoping it's a better game than I expect because we know what the games were like last year at Wembley. Very one sided, weren't they? And you, you you just look at this one and the Seahawks could do the same again. Come this could be very one sided. But this is, I I hope I hope the Seahawks go out to maybe a fourteen twenty one point lead and then the, the Raiders have to come out throwing yeah. and we get a bit of a gunslinging match up. That's what I want. Because Derek Carr, like I said, Stuart, going back to losing, but he's throwing so much. He's got some good completion rates this year, like. But it's just obviously the drops are just coming in too often. With um, Brian, he's still doesn't seem to be targeting Cooper and Jack Cook at tight end is having he's having a good game, bad game, good game. Yeah, I just I just I, it's it's really bad really. Other than Marshawn Lynch and really Amari Cooper, who they don't use, I just I just think the rest of that offense is a bit meh. You know, I think Jalen Richards useful, but they don't really seem to use him that much. Um, Martavis Bryan and Seth Roberts you know dropping it too much not really making the plays that you'd want your wide receivers to make um, and I think Amari Cooper's getting double coverage so I, you know Derek Carr's not even looking at him anymore yeah, um, yeah so it's it's, uh, it's it's bad times really yeah 
you know, if you've got if your primary wide receiver one's getting double covered, then you want to be looking on leaning on a, a, your second wide receiver to make the plays. And a lot of the times, you know, teams have got a second wide receiver that stepped up this year. So if you look at, you know, someone like um, Calvin Ridley at uh, Falcons, you know, double coverage on Julio Jones gives space to Calvin Ridley. He's taken advantage of it. Um, even at Cincinnati, you've got double coverage on AJ Green, but Tyler Boyd has been given some space and he's taken advantage of it. So that's what teams are needing. You're needing that secondary wide receiver to really make plays when your main receiver's um, getting covered. Um, but they're just not doing it, so... You'd expect it. I mean, they've got Jordy Nelson there, haven't they? You know, you'd expect him. Yeah. The, the problem with Jordy Nelson is that he's a possession receiver at the minute. Yeah. At, at this the point of his career is a possession yeah. receiver. Yeah. And when you're playing from behind, you need more than a poss possession receiver. So... I don't think he's getting targeted for that reason that, that you want somebody that's not just going to move the chains, he's going to get downfield a bit more and uh, he's just not got it in the legs I don't think anymore No he hasn't Well it'll be interesting to see and then obviously we can analyse it next week So it's the end of the show now and we'd like to finish our honourable mentions I'm coming to you first Stuart because I know you do have two tonight so we'll come to you back to Ian and then back to yourself I've got three. You've got three now? Wow. I have got three. I've got three. I haven't got any. You haven't got any? Right, so... Do you want to copy one of mine? No. He's saving right, himself got... for the um, either the Dictionary Corner or the Davis Whining Corner. Yeah. So, my first, my first honourable... Well, it's not even an honourable mention. It's a bit of a whinge, really. And it's a bit of a whinge from a Vikings point of view is that the Vikings are the only team to not have had, so far this year, a 100-yard rushing game. And they're the only team this year not to have had a rushing touchdown, um, which I think is quite poor. Um, so that's that's my first one, which was when I heard that we were the, that, I was a bit surprised, really, because I know we're missing Dalvin Cook, but I, I was expecting that we'd probably get a little bit more out of Latavius Murray. Um Still a lot of questions around whether Cook's going to come back and actually do it or whether he's just going to be a bit of an injury-prone pro injury pony. Um, time will tell. My second honourable mention is, um, I don't know if anybody saw that um, Blake Bortles um, threw a pick in the end zone against KC, but he actually bounced it off his own linesman head, which was possibly one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I don't even know where he was looking, but he basically drops back in the pocket looks at his offensive lineman, throws the ball at his head, it bounces up in the air, and Kansas City pick it off in the end zone, which I thought was um, quite amusing. And the third one is something that I've spotted um, probably only about an hour before we, we started recording this, and this is on the back of the Saints versus Washington game last night, and um, it's between Michael Thomas and Josh Norman. I've had a real... Ding dong on Twitter, and I mean when I say ding dong, they've had a proper slagging off match on Twitter, um, to the point in which I think Josh Norman has now blocked Michael Thomas, wow. and all posts have been removed. Um, but luckily, I managed to screenshot some of the um, said conversations between the two of them before it got removed. So um, as soon as we finish this podcast, I shall be dropping those into the group for people to have a little bit of a read. But it is quite amusing, um, the little tete-a-tete -tete that they have between them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think those two are going to be friends, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens um, if uh, Seahawks and... Uh, uh, sorry, if um, Saints and uh, 
Redskins play a game. Just on that oh, yeah. one, obviously, oh, yeah. Ian, you've been a Cowboys fan. Josh Norman doesn't like many people, does he, normally? He, like, so saying, you know, he had a big beef with Dez last year. He doesn't like Odell. No. And there was, was it when he was at Panthers? There was somebody else who he had a spat with. Didn't he have a bit? Didn't he have a bit of a rook with uh, Cam Newton? Yeah, him and Cam Newton didn't get on, did they? That's why I think that's one of the main reasons Norman left. Yeah, no, he just seemed. I don't know whether he thinks he gets him fired up for games. I don't know because you, you listen to him interviewed, and I quite like listening to him when he gets interviewed. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I think he, he came over on the UK tour, didn't he, last year? Like yeah, I, me and Lee got to see him in Manchester. And he was yeah, really I think good. He, he came across quite well, and he's quite he's quite a comical person, and he he comes across really well. So, you know, I'll, I'll post it in the group, and people can make their own minds. But I just I thought it was quite amusing to read, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ian, have you got anything for dictionary corner this week, or is anything grinding your gears? Um, there's a little bit of one, and um, it wasn't just related to football, um, but I can't even remember what what brought it up this week. But deflate gate and it ran gate and everything ended in a gate really annoys me. <laughs> so it started with Watergate, which was a hotel, the Watergate Hotel. So why do you have to put the gate on the end of things? It, it's just, it tends to be called gate now, doesn't it, whenever it's a scandal, that you yeah. gate on it. If we'd had World War Two now, it'd be called Hitler Gate or something, wouldn't it? Yeah. And it was deflate gate, which again, in my head, is. Cheating Patriots, not Deflate Gate, as I'm sure you agree, Richard. I've not. I, I, that's that. I've got. Oh, sorry, I had something in my ear then. Yeah, Rich. I'm. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna make a suggestion now for what we can call this segment. Um, yeah, have you got a name? I think we should. Yeah, I've got a name. We should call it Wordgate. Wordgate. Cool. Yeah, I'd rather not. <laughs> Ian's Ian's Wordgate Corner. If anybody beats me to my copyright... We'll have date gate. Date gate. Oh. Yeah, no, I like gate now. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave gate. I'm happy with it. Date gate is brilliant. Yeah. Well, as always, Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure to listen to the last two minutes. It's not. He's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, just moving on to next week's show, Ian. We'd just like to... August 2016. Ian, just in a bit of a preview to next week's show, would you like to just give us a preview of the other idiot who's coming on next week? Yes, of course. And what, what, the, what the viewers have got can listen to next week? Yeah, because if you think me and Stuart are idiots, we will be surpassed next week by Charles Blossom coming on. Well, yeah. yeah, he's, like, he's wow. like the messiah of idiots, isn't he? <laughs> he is, yeah. He's what all the idiots aspire to be. He, he, he is the number one role model for an idiot. <laughs> he is. Um, yeah, now, I think we've mentioned it a little bit before, and I mean, you two know, but um, in just under three weeks, Charles and myself are going over to America, um, where we're going to be getting four games in while we're there over two weeks um, in different cities. Um, so what we're going to do, I mean, we... We're going to put a few video blogs on uh, the YouTube channel. Um, we're going to try and catch up with you two by phone, aren't we, while we're there as yeah. well. So um, I'll, I'll not go into 
Yeah, we can chat about that a little bit next week, can't we, when Charles is on. Definitely. I think next week's episode may could spawn into a two-parter because I, I don't think I'd want to take any of the outtakes out. <laughs> I'd, I like the way that um, I, you think it's on a holiday, Ian, actually, because what, what the, le- the, the listeners don't Two weeks is, with Charles. <laughs> yeah, well, he, you think he's going on a holiday, but what actually it is is it's a government movement to extract idiots from the UK, so... <laughs> They think they're going on holiday, and it's actually a, it's like a UK cleansing of idiots. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, um, the guy that you two know, Luke Bins, is wanting to come with us next year as well. Oh my word! <laughs> what? I'd, I'd reject that request. I don't think, I, Stu. I don't think he'd get a visa. I don't think the Americans would let him in. Actually, I, I, I think the only reason he wants to go to America is it's because it's the home of the donut, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just wants to visit Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, we're going to four games in four cities. He's he wants to go to the... Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> he wants to go cities. to the home. He wants to go to the homeland. He wants to go to the Krusty Krem factory, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luke, you bring it on yourself when you listen to this podcast. <laughs> he probably doesn't even listen. Uh, well, definitely one for but definitely a show to listen to next week. Yeah. Well. Well, guys, thank you again for another hour of bundles of laughter and same time next week. Yeah, cheers, Richard. And um, I have an update on my Twitter account that we discussed last week as well. Oh, have you? Where can we follow you, Ian? You can't. I'm still unfounded. That's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You've had a week. Yeah, but I forgot about it until Stuart said something the other day. So I'll look before next week. I'll have a look. Right. Again, another week. So, we'll see you all again next week, guys. Cheers, lads. See you next week. Yeah. Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over a hundred social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.